Hello, climate change. Waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. That's my podcast. I'm Amy Kalisher. Today, I'm going to be talking to David Clark, who is the president of the Weather Channel. So David Clark and I grew up together. We were on swim team together. We were in fourth grade together. Um, so we go way back. Um, so without further ado, um, let's go to the conversation. All right, bye. So hi, it's great to hear your voice, first of all. Amy Kalisher. <laughs> How are you? It's been a long, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Um, been a long time. Yeah, I was just actually thinking that probably the last time I talked to you or saw you was like 10 years ago at a class reunion. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Funny to think we you know, grew up down the street from each other. Wow. So, I mean, I would love to hear what's been going on in your life for the last 10 years. Maybe you could give me sort of the public uh, Cliff Notes version. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. Um, I think the, the most relevant thing for this is um, I, I took the reins at the Weather Channel about four, four years ago, I think. Yeah. I, think I just started my fifth year there. Um, I had been in the media business before that. This was, it was a, a big change because I was kind of on like the pop culture end of things. And I joined an organization that was kind of like if you ask a large group of scientists to create a media company, you, you kind of get the Weather Channel, which is really interesting. It was like this, you know, it's this interesting kind of right brain, left brain kind of place. So I've been doing that um, for a lot of time. I love it. And I've moved down to Atlanta, Georgia, where we're headquartered. I just realized a way that I can do this, where I can record. I'm sorry. I just had to. Okay. We're all set. Um, yeah. um, so as you can tell, I'm not very professional at this, but that's really not the point. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, part of the charm. Yeah, that's you right. Seem, you, I, seem, you seem pretty professional. Oh, thanks. At least, at least you have a podcast. Yeah, well, you know, it's like... It's a it's a labor of almost like personal necessity. I feel you're one of the few people that I see with an exclamation point in, in sort of your demeanor about this topic that feels like it's um, on par with the seriousness of the issue. And it does feel without having conversations with people about this on a regular basis, just kind of insane to walk around through life as if it's not, it feels like we're walking around through life as if it's not happening. And so it, it, every time I see something that you post on Facebook, as much as, you know, I hate the information, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm aware of it anyway, but I, I, I'm relieved on a certain level to know that I'm not the only one looking at it and going, what, you know, so I'm very interested. I mean, I, I think we probably could fill an hour with questions I have about what it means to be the president of the Weather Channel, um, and we should maybe start there. But I'd also like to hear more about your personal, you know, feelings on the topic. So wherever you want to start, actually, it's fine with me. Um, sure. I mean, I, listen, I, I love talking about climate change to anybody who will listen. Yeah. You, you know, I think it is serious. You know, it's. I think the one of the really neat things about um, working at the Weather Channel every day is you're surrounded by, and we have about 200 meteorologists in the organ, in the entire organization. Um, you know, the ones that you see on TV, but there are a lot behind the scenes that are uh, making, making the whole machine work. Um, and they're just exceptionally bright people. And the A and B, we're, we have, you know, we're kind of connected with the National Weather Service and NOAA and the academic community. And, um, well, let's back up because a lot of people listening won't know what NOAA is. So maybe you could just yeah. say what that is. So NOAA is the, the um, National Oceanic um, and Atmospheric Administration. They're part of the government that monitors, studies the ocean, the atmosphere, you know, the ocean's... Mm -hmm climate, the weather systems, the National Weather Service, which is primarily charged with forecasting and warning the public to, um, you know, weather-related threats, reports into NOAA. Um, 
so it's a really important organization and um, they, you know, NOAA works as a, you know, the National Hurricane Center is part of NOAA, the Storm Prediction Center, um, so on and so forth. Um, I remember NOAA as a kid going to Falmouth, Massachusetts, where they have an ocean research center and watching their ships come in and out, you know, as they went to study the oceans. But NOAA, along with NASA and the military and the, you know, you know, the academic community and other research organizations around the world are all sort of studying the planet and what's happening to the atmosphere. And we, re, we are connected with them because we report on it. And the big kind of aha moment for me coming in to the Weather Channel and being around this is that there is, you know, a, pr- a pretty big sort of sense of alarm in the scientific community as to what's happening with climate change. And the more you understand the issue, you're like, wait a minute, this is a lot worse than the, than the public has a sort of general understanding of. Even those who, you know, who accept that the climate is changing, that it's caused by humans, probably, unless you're really paying attention, don't have a sense as to just how dramatic the change really is and how irreversible it is, which is kind of hard to, you know, stomach. And, you know, it's because there's just so much noise, particularly in this country around the issue. You know, for me, I, I came into the Weather Channel not having not been a weather, you know, I didn't, I'm not a meteorologist. I didn't grow up studying the weather. I was sort of, you know, an amateur weather geek and kind of a media guy, you know, and um, I've become sort of absorbed in the topic, just being around it all the time. Um, and I'm very interested in how we can communicate with the public uh, on the issue. Yeah. So and and uh, so the Weather Channel is it uh, just in the United States or does that extend internationally? So the TV network is just in the United States. Okay. You know our digital properties, you know, extend around the world, and you know, increasingly even the TV network will create content that just through you know the power of social media will go viral around the world, and the brand actually has a pretty good recognition outside the United States. But the TV network itself, which is sort of the driving kind of content creator, is U.S. focused. Yeah. You just had there was a little uh, digital burp there. The the driving co- content creator is that what you said? Yeah, I mean the, our digital properties are primarily focused on the forecast. You know, it's, what's the temperature going to be at three o'clock today? Right. And the TV network is, I would say, it's more of a storytelling vehicle. Um, so it's great at storm coverage and kind of longer lead stories and just sort of painting a broader, you know, picture around what's happening in, in weather. Right. Yeah. And it seems like as, I mean, I can't imagine that public awareness of climate change has any possible path in our future, except to become more and more clearly, you know, something that people are focusing on. So it seems to me like, I mean, maybe that's optimistic or something, but I, I can't imagine anything else. So it seems like the, the Weather Channel is po- poised to become more and more important if it's taking that on. Is that something you're thinking about? Yeah, we've, we set climate change as one of our big editorial, just our overall priorities, you know, generally, and this year in particular, as we go into 2017. You know, I think the Weather Channel is getting uniquely positioned to talk on this issue. We've got a huge amount of credibility and trust with the American people. Right. And you're seeing, you know, you're, you are seeing increased interest in climate change generally. I mean, unfortunately, you know, in the entire political campaign, you know, I mean, three debates, there were a lot of questions about emails and zero about climate change. But since the election has been over, there's actually been a lot of talk about climate change. Hmm. You know, maybe because of who, you know, the cabinet choices are and so on and so forth. But there's been quite a bit of, I think there's been a sort of elevated attention being paid to climate change. And you're seeing other media organizations, including National Geographic has done some really big stuff on climate change. It's been great. You know, the AP, the New York Times, Washington Post are all investing in climate change. I think the reason they're doing that is there's a recognition that this is something that the public wants to understand more. And there is a lot of confusion on the issue. Mm -hmm. So that's great. And I think the Weather Channel 
can be a leader uh, amongst all that. We have a unique angle on it where, you know, our focus is we just want to clarify the science for the public. Mm-hmm. You know, with a policy debate can happen elsewhere, but the policy debate really can't happen at all unless the science is sort of understood. You know, and there's it's just kind of a ridiculous debate around the science, whether it's true or not, you know? Yeah. And any, any serious scientist will, you know, if you spend five minutes with them, it's, it, it's easy to be convinced of, you know, the threat we're facing. Yeah. Anyway, so I think the weather channel, the weather channel is a position. I think, you know, we're increasingly creating stories that, you know, with the intention of clarifying kind of the basic science of people, there's a lot of confusion out there, some of it deliberate around the issue. And I think the media can play a big role in just sort of clarifying science. Unfortunately, I mean, like we're in this world where you know, we have like an acid rain problem or the ozone, the hole in the ozone. There, was, there really wasn't any debate around the fact that we have a problem. Right. The debate was, you know, what should the policy be and how are we going to resolve these issues? Both of which we've, you know, pretty much resolved. Mm-hmm. This time, we're debating the science uh, and whether we have a problem at all, which is just absurd. But not not just because of how clear the science is, but when you look at it in the context of the rest of the world, you know, the lack of debate in the rest of the world, it, it adds to that feeling of absurdity here in this country. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, that's right. I will say though that you know we're we take a very nonpartisan sort of data-driven look at it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when you do that, you know, that, the, you know, you've got about 10 or 15% of the public that is pretty smart on the issue, much like yourself, you know, pretty knowledgeable, maybe a little disheartened and <laughs> starting to lose a little bit of hope. Huh. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, you've got 10, 12% of the public that is, fiercely in resistance uh, or, you know, sort of resisting the, con- the consensus science on the issue. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, those two groups are sort of demographically similar, right? They tend to be fairly educated groups um, that are really good at sort of assembling information to sort of support their point of view. Um, and there's enough sort of misinformation about climate out there that it's easy to find a fact or two to kind of sort of attach yourself to and then and then if as long as you know you kind of deny the rest of it yeah there's enough to point to to kind of build a case right uh even though it's not a doesn't happen to be a valid case right 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 if you follow my logic the, the those you know i think that sort of denier group which is very loud we're not gonna we're not really going to be able to change their minds it's sort of tribal and i don't really know if that should be the focus of our and we're focused at the Weather Channel is the kind of 80% of the population in the middle that is actually very open and very eager to get more information on it is, tends to be confused um, on the issue because they're hearing different things and, you know, doesn't have a sense of, I mean, there's different layers of this, right? Like, is this happening? Is it caused by humans? Is, is one cut? But... You know, when you start to talk about just how bad it is now, this isn't some future thing. Um, the climate change, the climate has been changing. Right. There are irreversible things that are going on now. That there are many layers to this. Sometimes I hear people say, "Well, you know, will it really be terrible if we're growing bananas in Canada or oranges in Canada?" I say, well, you know, <laughs> you know, when you really look at the the science, what's happening are much more dramatic than that. Right. Uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that that 80% of the public think could benefit from having, you know, the information on. So that's, that's, a, that's the kind of thing that we're trying to focus on. Well, it's so important. It's so important. I, I mean, there's, it, it, gosh, I just, I'm almost speechless when I start to think about the kind of conversations that I sometimes have with people who are, you know, they're good everyone's, I'm not saying that people who think differently are not good people, but they're, they're good people who, who, who kind of know and are concerned that it's a problem, but they, but they, they have that kind of, they very surface sort of, I mean, I remember being in a position where it bothered me that, that, that this was serious, climate change is serious. And then, I mean, years ago, there was, 
maybe a story or something about how we're sort of running out of oil reserves. And I thought, oh, good, you know, that's going to take care of it. You know, that, that, that's, that's going to take care of it because we are going to have to transition. And I, I felt relieved and I took my mind off of it for two years. And then when I come back, it's like, oh shit, <laughs> obviously that those little things that give us a sense of relief or that, you know, without that, where we don't want to look too deeply because, well, I don't know, because our lives are overwhelming maybe. And, and it, it's, it feels like a relief and let's move on to something, you know, more pressing, like I need new tires on my car, you know, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. There comes a point where, um, having the information sort of packaged for you and, and related to you in a, in a way that feels like more sort of specific to what you're going to so imagining like the weather channel could, or, or maybe already has done stories about, um, earthquakes in Oklahoma or wherever it is where they're, you know, fracking is causing, you know, just like, how is this connected? You know, um, where's this coming from and those kind of things and getting people to sort of see without, without an agenda, um, what the facts are. Yeah. It's, it's a hard issue to communicate because, you know, it's, it does feel like it's this thing that's happening far away or far into the future. And to your point, I've got to get my tires changed today. Yeah. You know, it, it feels like the kind of issue that's big and complicated and distant and the, pro- and the solving it feels hard. Right. It also feels like a big collective action issue where, you know, where all the countries in the world kind of, kind of rally together to solve it, which, you know, it feels, you know, feels like a, a, we need a big government solution. And, you know, a lot of people have sort of a, you know, a, a knee jerk reaction to even that kind of, that kind of thing, which understandably, you know, um, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not sort of debating policy, but, but it just feels big and overwhelming to even think about it. And maybe nothing, maybe something I don't have to worry about right now. Truth is that, it is something we should have started worrying about a long time ago. Uh, and there are things that we can do. And, you know, the last year we actually saw a decrease in the amount of carbon we're putting in greenhouse gases that we're putting in the atmosphere. You know, you're starting to see alternative forms of power become cheaper than oil and gas or coal. And, you know, the bottom, bottom line is we need our leaders to at least take the issue seriously and start to debate solutions you know right we at the weather channel don't pretend to have the answers to what the solution sh- should be although you know this the science would tell you we we do have to dramatically reduce the amount of greenhouse gases we're putting in the atmosphere pretty quickly mm-hmm. yeah is it something that you would uh take on some of the um the proposals that are out there the the the, the tech solutions to climate change yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole range of potential solutions I and mean, we'll report on them and we'll let, listen, there, there are, the good news is there's a lot of really smart people working on real solutions and we are happy to report on them and let them talk about their solutions, give them airtime. When, when it's us, you know, it's a weather channel figure, um, personality talking about it. We, we tend to stick with the science, you know, this is what's happening and this is, these are what the projections are, these are what the risks are. And that seems to work pretty well. We we don't we we don't we think we're much more effective if we don't get you know we're, we're not sort of seen as taking any side other than the side of science. You know when there is someone who we think is deliberately putting out uh, incorrect science um, or twisting the science, you know we'll call them out on it. We just did that with uh, Breitbart. Hmm. .com. Uh, I can send you the link to the video. Oh, yeah. um, but they use they use one of our videos to tell a story on climate, and um, it was just loaded with inaccuracies. And we produced another video that clarified it, and you know it went viral, and it was a big deal. Yeah, and let me just uh, let me just interrupt to say because um, I always forget to to put this out there in the in the podcast. Um, I will take these links and put them in the show notes of this podcast, which wherever you're downloading this podcast from iTunes or wherever, you'll see that. But if you go to hellocc.info, that's where I have sort of a repository of all of that stuff. So, yeah, look for those links. I look forward to seeing them myself. Cool. And you were going to say? 
I think that was it. Oh, I thought there was another point. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's one. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's many. <laughs> so, um, uh, gosh, uh, do you have any designs on doing sort of in, like a documentary style things that can be broadcast uh, that, that will end up on someone's Netflix feed and that kind of thing as well? We have done a lot of that. Oh, okay, great. Okay. We've done an entire series on climate change. Mostly moving forward, we, you know, we're focused on using our live air um, and our digital properties yeah. to create content. And, you know, we'll, we'll do pieces that are, we have done a lot of that direct, you know, direct explanations of climate change and climate science. But we will also work it into sort of our regular coverage of events without sort of necessarily calling it out as climate change, as long as it's based in, you know, science. For example, we, we have seen a, um, and this is documented and recorded, you know, a, a pretty meaningful increase in the number of intense rain events in the country, right? And there's just, you know, there's just more moisture in the air. Um, storms seem to be moving through a little bit slower than they used to. There's a lot of, a lot of research going on around this, but it's very interesting. So we will, if, if, if we have an intense rain event like we had this year in Louisiana, South Carolina, uh, just outside of Baltimore, uh, we have these, these uh, very short, very intense rain events that, that everybody describes as a one in a hundred or one in a thousand year event. They seem to be having happening every couple of days. Right. We'll, we'll say, Hey, you know, um, let, let, let us show you something. Let, you know, it, here is this, the increase that we've seen in the number of these events, the frequency of these events in the country. Isn't that interesting? You know, and kind of work it into the coverage of that in that way. So we'll do that, those kinds of things too. That's great. <laughs> I, my mind goes to, I have a friend who is a climate modeler, climate scientist, um, teaches at UConn about climate change. At, well, for those of you listening um, who are not anywhere near Connecticut or even in the United States, UConn is the University of Connecticut. But anyway, she's been a guest on the podcast a couple of times and she will be again. And she was telling me sort of the forecasts. I mean, I think the the, the information that's so stunning to me and probably is so valuable, the kind of thing that you're probably, one of the things that you're putting out, um, I'm imagining also is the, the forecast, the long-term forecast kind of, she was saying in Connecticut, I believe she said 20 years from now, we can expect 90 days a year that are over um, 90 degrees. And then, and then within that 30 days a year that are over 100 degrees. And that's, you know, separate from heat waves and, um, but that's just going to be the typical every year, what you can expect will be like in this area where we grew up. And, you know, that's very different from what we experienced growing up here. I think we had like a heat wave was meant over 90 degrees and that would maybe be five days in the summer or something here and there a day or two beyond that or something like that. Um, Right. I mean, you know, 2016 is the hottest year in record, beating 2015, beating 2014. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a pretty clear trend, I think. Yeah. What, um, what climate scientists will tell you um, that is sort of frightening is the, the, the truth is that the, the actual results of what we're actually seeing is coming in ahead of what the climate models so sort of predict. It's sort of the upper end. Yeah, you know, with, within the range, but on the upper end of the range, and in some cases, depending on what you're measuring, um, outside the range, right? Because um, I think one of the, what has been hard for climate scientists to model, okay. or what the impact of these feedback loops will yeah. be, mm-hmm. you know, as we um, advance, and uh, you know, it's funny people say to me, um, "Well, you know, you can't predict the weather ten days out. How, how are you going to know? How are you going to be able to predict?" Yeah. Um, where the climate is going to be in 50 or 100 years. Well, actually, modeling the climate and modeling the weather are very different things. Um, You can actually model out the climate, and the models have been really good, if not a little conservative. Um, But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we're going to be experiencing uh, a a lot more heat. You know, we have heat records almost every day in this country. We very rarely have cold records. Right. Um, you should have 50, 50, you know, it should be a coin toss. Right. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we're seeing sea level rise 
now in the country. You know, Miami is now flooding on sunny days. Yeah, I was talking to one of our, um, our tropical hurricane experts uh, the other day. Does a lot of work again with the um, academic community, and he was talking about you know just how extraordinary the Gulf of Mexico was this year, and just how warm it was. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, how in the Gulf of Mexico you're seeing red tides much more frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's causing um, you know kind of everybody that lives on the coast to have coughing fits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's affecting sea life and, you know, the economies along the Gulf coast depend on sea life, shrimping and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, warm oceans are fuels for hurricane, you know, fuel for hurricanes once they get going. So, you know, we, we lost a big chunk of the great barrier reef this year. Mm-hmm. Um, if ocean acidification continues, you know, you can see, a, you know, huge impact on, just the food Shellfish chain. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, in the oceans. Um, the implications of that are obviously catastrophic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plankton <laughs> are is more of a source of our, the air, you know, breathable oxygen than the rainforest, which was terrifying me when we were, you know, teenagers, all the stories about how quickly we were burning down the rainforest, but I didn't really have quite a sense of how much our oxygen comes from um, plant life in the oceans. Yeah. Um, pe- people, when they think of climate change, they think of the air and how warm it's going to be, but the oceans, which are, which is a carbon sink, you know, will be much more and are being much more impacted by climate. And it's, you know, the implications of that, once you really start to study them and I encourage everybody to go do it are huge. I mean, you know, if you have a shift in the Gulf stream in the Atlantic, for example, Europe could see, you know, a big freezing uh, and temperatures drop meaningfully because there's this big sort of warming cycle that happens for Europe. Plant life, sea life, so on and so forth, right? You know, and, and the, the challenging thing is carbon stays in the air for a thousand years, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's a cumulative effect to the amount of carbon that we're putting in the atmosphere, which again makes it just that much more imperative that we take action as quickly as we can. Right. All right. I have a couple of things I want to follow up on. One is you mentioned feedback loops, and I just want to clarify what that means for people listening. And a good example that comes to mind for me, and maybe you have another, um, is something like when sea ice melts, the surface is darker and therefore more heat is absorbed. And there, so therefore more things melt, more there's more melt. And that just takes a, a, a problem and makes the problem more and more intense. Um, Correct. Yeah. Is there, do you have another one in mind just to add to that as an example? There are a whole bunch. Um, you know, the other one is the permafrost. Right. You know, when the permafrost melts, it releases methane right. into the atmosphere. Which adds to the warming. Yeah. You know, which is a much more potent form of uh, greenhouse gas, even though it doesn't stay in the atmosphere as long. Right. It's like 10, 10 years versus a thousand. It's, it's, it's a much more potent yeah. a greenhouse gas. Um, you know, sea ice is a big one. You know, we're, I was reading the other day about, um, you know, there's a group there's a group of Belgian scientists that uh, traveled to East Antarctica to, you know, which is the coldest place on Earth, um, considered previously to be somewhat immune to, just because it's so cold, the effects of a warming atmosphere. And they found 55 lakes uh, where there shouldn't be 55 lakes. Yeah. That's extremely concerning. If, you know, if, if all the ice in Antarctica were to melt, we'd see sea level rise of about 58 meters. Wow. Um, and that, that is, if you, once it starts melting, yeah. it's very hard to put that G back in the bottom. Right. And it melts from the bottom up and the top down. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, it becomes this big sort of, not only a feedback loop, but it has a big knock-on effect. You know, the yeah. sea ice that the, um, the sea ice is kind of holding in the land ice that sits on top of Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Once you once those chunks of sea ice sea ice break off into the ocean, um, then it's easier for the land ice to slide in behind it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So here's here's one other thing I wanted to follow up on. Earlier we were talking about um, how you know, that, that 80% of people who are not in denial, but 
but can't quite engage, you know, and can't, you know, don't really have the full picture and the sense of urgency. Um, and I guess I wonder, I get it like that the, the weather channel has a specific role about, um, clarifying the information and putting the information out. And I'm curious about for you personally, because I think that that is an important piece. And then there's this other important piece where, cause what happens is, is that you take in a certain amount of this, you feel a lot of feelings about it, and then you still don't know what the heck to do. And so I guess it feels like the ball needs to be picked up from there. And maybe it's a lot of different directions. I mean, there's lots of things that people can do. And I just wonder for you personally, I mean, your job, you have a role, you know, I feel like <laughs> that it must, it must feel like you have something to cling to, like you have a role here and you're working on it, on the issue of climate change. Um, but in your personal life, has it changed anything? Um, how do, how does it, I don't even know how to frame a question, but whatever you want to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, I drive an electric car now, you know, do things like that. Um, I think the truth is that we need big scale solutions. Yeah. You know, uh, it is important, you know, if a lot of people recycle and a lot of people um, conserve energy, it makes a difference. But really what we need is big scale solutions, which means we, we need our elected officials um, to get in a room and figure out solutions. And, and you know, in full disclosure, I don't pretend I, – I spent some time trying to learn about all the petitions personally and just, you know, as, as part of my job – Understanding that the range of solutions we'll be doing. In fairness to everyone, everybody, it is complicated, it is big, and it is hard to figure out. Yeah. Um, but we do need our elected officials to take action. And I think, you know, we're in a democracy, we're, we're, sometimes it doesn't feel like it, we're still in a democracy. Mm -hmm. And the best thing I think that anybody can do is contact your elected officials in your area and, and make sure that they understand how important the issue is to you, who they represent. Right. I think that clarifying the issue for the public so that it's clear in their minds what it is that we're actually dealing with is the first step. Yeah. Um, until that happens, you know, there can be all sorts of gamesmanship that happens. Um, but it's very hard to play games when the public is clear as to what the issues really are. Yeah. yeah. And I think organizations like the Weather Channel can have a big impact on that. So, I mean, I get, yeah, I guess I have the benefit of, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, really. I think I, I don't, I, um, I get to feel like I'm doing something on this as is our team, but it's a, you know, we don't have the benefit of being sort of blissfully unaware. Right. <laughs> right. And you also don't have the benefit of having sort of a, a huge, um, you're not hugely supported in our country to, to be, the, the messenger, you know, of this bad news. <laughs> it's funny. One of the inspirational things for us as a team, um, you know, and anytime we do anything in climate change, we get, you know, we get a ton of people that reach out to us, um, you know, on social media or write letters to us sort of complaining about it. I was going to ask about um, <laughs> But although we try to keep in mind that it's a, it's a, it, if you really look at the data, it's a small but vocal group and that the, we're, we think we're, you know, serving the vast majority of our audience and of the public. Well, this challenge reaches a lot of people. You know, we are the kind of, we have about 65 million people watch the network in a given month, in a quiet month. If there's a storm, like a big blizzard where you are or a hurricane, um, we can have 65 million people watch us in a day. You know, we'll be the number one network on, on TV. And that's before you even get to a mobile app, which has uh, a huge reach, um, weather.com and our partners. Right? Right. So we can reach a lot of people. And, you know, our hope is that if we can help people understand what um, the scientific community understands and close the gap between those two things, it'll be, it'll just be easier for our leaders to lead. You know, one other thing I'll say, I mean, this, and this is the most remarkable thing. Maybe this, maybe you'll find this sort of encouraging. I think there is a lot of leadership and courage right now coming from the right. Hmm. I know that you know, it may sound sort of odd no. to hear, but um, I can give you a long list of conservatives 
who have been very outspoken on climate change. And we're very, very supportive of them. And I, you know, I think that does take courage. We've also had, I've personally had private conversations with, you know, elected officials, members of Congress who will say, look, you know, we get it. But if I come out on this issue, I won't get reelected. You know, uh, my hope is, and this may be really naive, I think, you know, that there will be leadership from the right. I actually think it's a huge opportunity for the right um, to lead on this issue. The, the right, you know, has been the party of conservation, mm. you know, going back decades. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan and George Bush were fairly active on climate change. It wasn't until the late 90s that this became as politicized as it is today. I think the where the where there will be a real debate and is on what we should do about it. But I'm hoping that you know we've had conservatives who have come and spoken on our air about climate change, and those are the kinds of voices. You know, the Weather Channel tends to reach more of a, a, a middle of the country audience. Those are the kinds of voices I think we need to be much louder right now. You know, Al Gore, bless his heart. Um, and he's, you know, he's producing uh, Inconvenient Truth number two right now. Oh, wow. And let me just say, bless his heart. I can tell you're living in the yeah. South. <laughs> I know. I know. I moved here from New York City four years ago, and I'm saying things like, bless his heart. <laughs> um, you know, um, no, I mean, he, you know, he's done more than most uh, on the issue, but he doesn't have, unfortunately, for better or for worse, he does not have a year of the people whose minds need to be changed. Right. Um, there are conservatives out there who will have a better shot at changing minds that are doing some good work. You know, Hank Paulson uh, has been quite active on the issue. Of course, Mayor Bloomberg. Um, there's, there's a conservative businessman named Jay Fison who has done a lot of work on climate change. There are some, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Republican governor of California there. Um, and there are others. And by the way, the other just fascinating thing I think that is underreported uh, is uh, military leaders. Yes, yes. Right. Well, they're, they're, that's their focus of future military, you know, challenges will come out of climate change or even current military challenges. Yeah, the mil- it's, this is fascinating. Um, the, the Pentagon has been unequivocal for some time that climate change is real and they're beyond the debate uh, and uh, they are in operational mode and dealing with the threat. Um, They have a new ocean to the north that they have to defend. They've got bases like Diego Garcia uh, is a super strategically important naval base in the Indian Ocean. It's about, you know, it's just a few feet above sea level, uh, they they got to move it. And then there's issues of, you know, every war that's ever been fought has been over resources, um, water, land. I mean, you know, there's there's a strong point of view that the problems in Syria were at worst caused by, at best exacerbated by climate change. There's, you know, there's a severe drought leading up to the conflict. Um, so those are things that the Pentagon are worried about. And, you know, the Pentagon has, uh, they've been quite public that this is one of the chief national security concerns of the country. Weather Channel, we will put these officials, these military leaders on air to talk about it. We just had Rear Admiral Tim Gallaudet from the Navy down. He's been on our air. These are the kinds of voices that I think the public needs to hear from more. They're, They're just so convincing. How does it work for your programming? I mean, you obviously a good portion of your time is local weather, right? Um, and just even weather, what's happening today and tomorrow and the next day in the country and the world. So how do you break down to how much time in an hour, say, can you devote to climate change? So we have 6,000 hours of airtime a year to fill. Wow. <laughs> it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a lot. We do about... Um, we do 15, 16 hours of live reporting every day. If it's a, 
if there's not a major event happening in the country. And then the rest, which is typically our primetime or evening hours, will be, you know, pre-taped shows, series, documentaries, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the focus of all of it is, you know, really become kind of a more of a pop science or I should say sort of, you know, fun, uh, you know, where we've been focusing. When I got to the Weather Channel, the mandate was just provide the forecast and don't go into more depth. Now we go very deep on the weather and we geek out on it and we do it live and we do it in prime time. And, um, that gives us a lot of latitude to do really fun and interesting things. Um, so I've got lots of places on our, we can talk about climate change. I've got a morning show that does really, really well. We can talk about climate change. I've got a show sort of early evening show called weather underground from six to eight every day, which we do in partnership with, the, the company Weather Underground, which is out of San Francisco, and they do crowdsourced weather. It's more of a community-based show. Uh, we'll bring in our best scientists, meteorologists, to talk about the science behind the weather and policy issues around the weather, things like that. Um, and there's a real fan base for that show. And then in, in the evening, I can run documentaries. And then you know, and when there's a storm, it's very hard uh, – meteorologists remind us of this all the time. It's very hard to tie any one weather event to climate change. Right. But you can put it in the context of larger trend lines. Right. And we will do that during storms. Do you do much around uh, climate justice kind of things, such as um, inner city wet air quality? We don't do a lot. Um, our digital team did a, a piece that won tons of awards about immigrants that are were crossing the desert uh, on the border and um, the numbers that are, are dying because of the heat. Um, and that was a, a series that was done with um, Televisa and won all kinds of uh, news Emmys and, and other journalism awards. So we have done it. It's not our main thrust, though. You know, we, you know, we're kind of a by the book kind of science brand, um, and we don't editorialize that much. Um, uh, although what, what we what we will defend is science itself. Right. That's where we can get a little emotional. <laughs> <laughs> funny to hear it put that way that actually leads very easily into my next question which is more more about you personally like what i guess i'm i'm wondering how this carries over into your social your family i mean how how you said a little bit about it being sort of a blessing and a curse you know does it I mean, what keeps you up at night? What is the challenge next on your agenda? I don't know how, I just want to open yeah. it up to you in a more personal way. Well, it's, you know, that's a great question. It has become, you know, for me personally, I got to tell you, like, this is the first issue in my life that I think has consumed me like this, you know? Um, you know, I, um, I'm not typically the, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a business guy, media guy. I don't, I don't, I, I have not typically like, you know, been that friend that always posts on Facebook about this issue or that issue that they care about or bring it up at every cocktail party. I've become that guy on climate change, you know, to the point where my friends are making fun of me now on this issue. But the reason is, is because I am just, you know, the more I come to, come to understand the issue, the more alarmed I really am. People, people say, well, you're a climate change alarmist. I'm like, yeah, it's like calling, it's like, you know, calling if you know, your house is on fire and you're yelling at the fireman trying to put it out and telling them that they're an alarmist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fire department rang the alarm, you know, right, you have a, right. you have a problem. Um, so, you know, I, the, I, when there's there's a ton of data on climate, I share it on Facebook. I get like three likes every time it happens. I put a f- picture of my dog on Facebook. I'll get a hundred yeah. likes. Yeah, same for me. <laughs> but I hope people do see it. Uh, you know, I you know I live in the South. I live in Atlanta, which Atlanta actually is a pretty progressive town, but in a very conservative state. Yeah. Um, 
so it's a little bit like Austin, Texas, you know, and it's like a blue dot and a sea of red. I would say Atlanta's probably a purple dot and a sea of red. Um, but there, but everybody, but there are a lot of really well-intentioned people. I end up getting into conversations with people who they'll say, "Oh, you work at the Weather Channel?" I say, "Yes." I say, "What do you believe about climate change?" And I'm like, "Uh oh, here we go." And I'll find myself at a cocktail party in a half an hour discussion about climate change. If you know, if I can get people to think about it a little bit differently or at least be open to learning a little bit more and not just sort of go with the standard. I mean, I've heard, I've had the conversation thousands of times, it seems. And, you know, it pretty much plays out um, the same way every time. So there, there are talking points that people are kind of relying on. So that, that's a big aspect of my personal life is I just, I find myself talking about it in my, in, in my social relationships, you know, a lot. Um, I've done things like I brought one of our climate experts at the Weather Channel into my son's school. He talked to the school about, um, you know, a big. I think kids are an interesting sort of way into the story because they tend to be nonpartisan, or apolitical, and you know, we really are talking about them. We're talking about the future, so um, you know, I make sure my kids are up to speed on it, and you know, working with the schools in the area. I think those are things anybody can really do. But the bottom line is, like, I, I came out of this, for personally, I came out of this election cycle thinking, I, I think this is the biggest single issue, the most important issue um, that we are facing. There cannot be, we're, we're, this issue is literally about the health of our home mm-hmm. and the future of the human race. I mean, that is not saying it like that is not true dramatic. That's what it is. Yeah. And it is legitimately concerning that we don't even talk about it, even though I understand the reasons why. So I am blessed and lucky to have a big media platform that focuses on the topic. Right. That we can use to, to help kind of clarify it. So, uh, you know, that's unique. But anybody can anybody can be having these conversations. Yeah, it's so important. Um, do you feel like your stakeholders at the Weather Channels are supportive? Oh yes. Oh good. Okay. Yeah, and you know, and it's interesting. Meteorologists, meteorologists, and climate, even though the public sort of conflates the two, meteorologists and climatologists are related but different. Right. There was a period of time when meteorologists, including many at the Weather Channel we're skeptical of climate science. And I say, I use the word skepticism in a positive way. I mean, science is, the foundation of science is skepticism, right? Right, right. But we're very skeptical. And But today, there's not a single one. Mm. There just isn't. There might be debate, because they're scientists, around how much and when and what are the implications and things like, you know, the, some of those things within the science, but the basic science, like the basic understanding of the thermodynamics and the physics that is driving climate science is, is, is not only accepted, I think, by the meteorologists today. There's, there's a sense of alarm there too, right? So I, I've lost track of what question I was answering for you, but... Um, I just asked if you, if your stakeholders at the Weather Channel are in support of you um, yeah. making this a priority. Right. So, so, so there, I think they would like us to be doing more, you know. Um, you know, our media... Uh, the, sort of the, the spiritual advisors of the Weather Channel are our meteorologists. You know, this is a company that was started by meteorologists. We have some of the world's best meteorologists working for us. Every, every single one of them are superb. It is, and, and this is a group of people that cares very deeply about, you know, dedicating their lives to the planet and the atmosphere. And also, if you ask a meteorologist why they got into this in the first place, well, A, there's the fascination of weather, which usually started when they were a kid. Every single meteorologist I've ever met starts with, well, when I was a kid, I lived in rural Pennsylvania and a tornado came over our house and from that day forward, I always wanted to say, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but there's a sense of service, you know, there's a sense that, you know, what we do every day by alerting the public to these threats and how to deal with these threats ends up, uh, protecting people and in some literally saving lives. Um, and that extends, I think, into 
climate. Um, you know, we can help people understand. So we do this on a short-term basis with weather. We can do this on a longer-term basis with climate. We help people understand the probability and the risk associated with what's happening. So anyway, that was a long-winded way of saying yes. Um, <laughs> you know, there's also, I think, you know, because there's, I think, an increased appetite in the public to understand this, you know, that's good. Frankly, that's good for business. Right. Well, I hope that um, business booms <laughs> for that very reason. Um, anything else you want to say? I mean, I feel like I'd I'd love to do do more of these conversations with you if you're open or if you have time. Um, but for right now, is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, I can keep going and going. Okay. <laughs> uh, look, I would say, uh, listen, thank you to you. Um, it's very cool that you are um, you know, doing what you can um, by creating this podcast. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're doing a lot of the same things by sort of talking to your friends and, and that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, if, if there are a lot more Amy Couchers out there, it'll, it'll help. It'll make a big difference. Well, same to you, more David Clarks and more climate, more weather channel geeks. <laughs> okay. So I'm interrupting this broadcast to uh just to end this um particular episode um and then i'm going to give you a little bonus episode with the rest of our conversation where i'm asking david what what other um you know particular topics he might cover in future conversations with me which which we're we're both on board to do so and then we um talk a little bit more about the personal um, experience of talking to people about climate change and, and cocktail parties and beyond. Um, so definitely tune in for that. It's very interesting what he has to say. Um, I will produce, I will put out that bonus episode, um, you know, within days or, or not more than a week of putting out the, the first, the first one, this one, the one you're listening to right now. It was great to talk to an old friend and thank you all for listening. I hope that you could understand everything despite the Skype digital bleepy burpy like where words get kind of um, interrupted here and there. But I think it was pretty good. You've been listening to Hello Climate Change and I hope you're doing good. Where to come? Bye.